John 3, verse 5. John 3 and verse 5. I preached a message here in 2015. I can't remember exactly what month it was, but I preached on a message and it was called The Birthmarks of a Christian. The birthmarks of a Christian. And this is the emphasis of this. I had mentioned uh, that week we talked about it and I asked the question, how many of us here today uh, were born with some kind of identifying birthmark? Do we have anybody in here? There's one. Oh, there's several dozen of us. Okay. But you were born with a birthmark. And some of you may not know this, but on your birth certificate... When you were born on your birth certificate, there's a place on that birth certificate and it asks the question, identifying birthmarks. Identifying birthmarks. In other words, if for some reason uh, something was to happen and they couldn't identify you for some reason, they could look on your birth certificate and say, oh, he has a birthmark right here on his left arm or he's got one on his leg that identifies. Well, they could use that to identify you. You can be identified by your birthmarks. Well, as Christians, we should be the same way. We're fixing to read where Nicodemus goes to Jesus and Jesus tells Nicodemus, in order for you to inherit the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. Well, let me tell you what happens when you're born again. Just like some of us were born with birthmarks, I want you to know when you are born again, there are birthmarks from being a Christian. Every single person that has been born again, I promise you that God did not leave you the same way you were. You were born again. Jesus Christ in His Holy Spirit to indwell you and to be inside of you. Things change inside of your life as a result of being born again. When you are born again, the identifying birthmark should be evident in your lives. So in order for us to begin to look at the subject of revival, one of the things that we can do to examine to see if we need revival in our own lives is to look to see in our lives if these birthmarks are evident to people around us. So we're going to look at, we've got four birthmarks that we're going to look at this morning. And these birthmarks are the result of someone who has been born again. Again, looking at John chapter 3 and verse number 5, Nicodemus is speaking with Jesus. And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Now flip over to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10 for just a second. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10. And I mentioned that there's a change that takes place in us. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. There's something inside of us. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not 
the record of God that gave his son. But it says, it says there that he that believeth have the witness inside himself. There's something inside of us that makes us different. Now, if you look in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 5, the Bible tells us that we as Christians should examine ourselves. So when I ask us this morning to examine ourselves, I want you to know I'm just, I am just simply asking ourselves to do exactly what the Scripture tells us to do. I kind of used an example uh, during the revival at East Tempe. Some of you were there. I used the example how I used to work at a paper mill and when they had a shutdown, they would, they would shut the whole plant down. But before they done that, they would go in and examine the things that needed to be repaired. And I used that kind of as an illustration. Well, I was sitting here thinking the other day, and I was thinking about the time that I, was, I served in the Navy. I was on a submarine. Well, I want you to know on a submarine, you have to act and treat things differently than you do if you're on a surface vessel. Guess what happens if you break down on, you're floating on top of the water. Guess what happens if you break down? Everything's fine. Hey, you're just going to stay afloat until you get what, what's there is fixed. It's a little bit different when you're cruising about 1,500 feet under the water and something breaks down. I mean, if something breaks down, you need to get it fixed pretty quick and uh, hoping that you're not over a real deep spot because if it breaks down and you start going down, you're in trouble. So I want you to know, uh, when I served on submarines, we had two of everything. Two of everything. We had a nuclear power plant that propelled, or powered us through the water. If that broke down, we had a backup diesel plant that we could keep moving. If we had, we, most everything on that submarine operated on pneumatics or air systems. We had two high pressure air compressors. If one broke down, we had a backup. We had two hydraulic plants. That's what kept the, made everything. We've done all of our steering through hydraulics. We had one. If that one broke down, we had a second one to go to. Everything had a duplicate. Everything on the submarine had a duplicate. We had two periscopes. We had, everything operated in twin. And the reason we did that was because in case you broke down, you needed a backup. So this is the way our submarine operated. We would operate that submarine. I was, I was on a crew, and we had two crews that operated this submarine. We would take that submarine, and we, would, we were stationed out of Scotland, and once we got out of the port, that submarine went under the water, and you didn't see or hear for us for three months. Our whole goal was to stay undetected. It's like, kind of like a boxer. If, if you don't know where the punch is coming from, you don't know where to put your hand up to block it. And that's kind of the defense system of the United States of America. One of the greatest defense systems we have is those ballistic-powered nuclear submarines that float around out there and nobody knows where they're at. They don't know how to guard against us. That was our goal. Well, this was what happened. We would go to sea, and when we would go to sea, things would happen to break down. So at the end of that three-month period, prior to us coming back into port... And it would be a two-week period. We had to get everything fixed for that next crew to come on, and then they would go back out and do the same thing. But before we came in, after that three months of, of tour out into the, under the water, we would go through that submarine like a fine-tooth comb because we know we had two weeks 
to get all the things that were repaired to be fixed that needed repairing. So when we would go through there, we would have to examine every single piece of equipment. Understanding there's a lot of equipment on a submarine that you don't normally find anywhere on the surface. On a submarine, we didn't have oxygen that we just carried around in oxygen banks. We had to produce our own oxygen. We had oxygen generators, and we would pump seawater in from the outside, and we would separate the hydrogen from the oxygen, and we would put one into a bank that we could store up, and we pump the other hydrogen overboard. But listen, if that oxygen generator had a problem, you couldn't go to sea. We had uh, CO2 scrubbers when you breathe out. You, you breathe out CO2. We had to have something that would take that CO2 out of the air to keep it from uh, making us sick, and we had to pump that overboard. Listen, you couldn't go to sea if your CO2 scrubbers weren't working. I mean, we had to go through there with a fine-tooth comb to make sure that America was defended by us being where we were supposed to be. If those things were not operating, we would have to come back in and be repaired putting a, a, a glitch in the defense system of the United States of America. So you understand, it was very, very important that we had everything on that submarine operating and operating efficiently. So at the end of every three months, we went through that submarine with a fine-tooth comb to make sure everything was operating appropriately. Now I want you to know, on the captain's list... The ice cream machine was number one. As a matter of fact, we were at sea one time, and this has nothing to do with any of that. One of our CO2 scrubbers, we have two of those. One of our CO2 scrubbers was down, and I was, I was the mechanic, and I was fixing the scrubber, and the ice cream machine went down. And it was the captain's order that I stop working on the CO2 scrubber and fix the ice cream machine. He said, we can always go to the surface and get more air, but we can't get more ice cream. So I had to go fix the ice cream machine instead. The important, the important point here is we must examine ourselves. We must examine ourselves to see if we are where we're supposed to be. In order for that submarine to operate efficiently, efficiently we had to periodically examine it. As Christians... This is where we're at. We're, our subject and our focus this whole month of November is revival. Let's look this morning at the birthmarks of a Christian. Let's look at what the birthmarks of a Christian, examining ourselves to see if we are being efficient in our Christian walk from day to day. Now let me make sure that we do understand something. As from time to time I am asked several times, as a pastor, I'm asked this question, how can I know, Brother Wayne, how can I know that I'm a Christian? Well, and, and, and let, me, let me tell you who normally ask me this question. The ones who normally ask me this question are those who periodically come to church. They know about God, but they don't know God on a personal basis. They have a desire to be around people of church because they are of moral character and moral value. They, they like what they, they experience when they come to church. But as far as walking away from here, they don't have a relationship with God. They know about God, but they don't know God in a personal relationship. 
I believe the Bible explains to us explicitly that we can know that we have a relationship with Him. As a matter of fact, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 13, it says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Let me make sure. God doesn't say you have to guess at it. The Bible tells us that you can know that you're a born-again believer or not. You can know. So it, I think it's very clear the Scripture tells us who, who is a Christian and who is not a Christian. Now let me tell you this. You are not a Christian just because you come to church. You are not a Christian just because you have memorized Scripture. You are not a Christian just because you can tell me about the birth, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those are not things that make you a Christian. You are not a Christian just because your mama and daddy are Christians. You are not a Christian just because you have perfect attendance for two or three years in Sunday school. Those things are not what make you a Christian. Let me tell you what make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is because there was a day and a time in your life that you confessed with your heart, believing with all of your strength and all of your might, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That Jesus Christ died on the cross, paying a debt for our sins. Believing that he was, he was placed in a grave, and three days later he rose again. And I'm not saying that it's just because you believe that with your mind, but you believe that with all of your heart. According to the scripture, is when that time and that place happens in your life, that is when Jesus Christ comes into your heart, He changes you, and He redeems you. You are never the same again. You were a child of the devil, and now you're a child of God. Just like that it happened. It's not something that happens over time. I want you to know it's, a, it's an event. It is an event in your life. It took place at a certain time and a certain place. It's no different than a lady who is pregnant and, and is about to give birth to a child. I want you to know one minute she is in the hospital and she's right there with the doctor and the nurses. One minute she is pregnant. Just like that, she's not anymore. She went from being a pregnant woman to not a pregnant woman. Just like that. Because she, was, she gave birth. Salvation is the same way. Salvation is a time and an event when you know that you were lost, you ask Jesus to come into your life and change you, and in a moment you are changed. It's an event. It's not something that comes on you slowly. The Bible tells us, and Jesus told Nicodemus, he says, Do not be surprised that I tell you you must be born again. Being born happens like that. And when you are born again... It happens like that. It's when you come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and you have accepted with your heart that that takes place. Now, the birthmarks. I've got four, four birthmarks of a Christian. Birthmark number one is a confession. Birthmark number one is a confession. And just as I was saying, I was talking to a couple the other day. I was doing marriage counseling with them, and I was talking with them, and I said, I said, okay, and I called her by name. I said, tell me, when did you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And she began to tell me. And I said, when were you baptized? And she told me. 
We talked about what baptism meant, and, and we're not going to go into all that right now, but, but she told me, she said, and Brother Wayne, you baptized me. I said, really? I did? I didn't remember it. But it was, it was the first year that I was here that she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, and she gave her heart, and she says, and I have, I've never been the same since. Talked to, the, talked to the young man that she was going to be marrying, and I said, can you tell me where you were at, where you were at and when you were born again? He says, I sure can. He says, I was raised Catholic and I was told all my life that I was, I was a Christian because they baptized me when I was a baby. He said, but then I started dating her and she began to tell me about what it meant to be saved. She began to tell me about what it meant to, be, to, to accept Jesus when he died on the cross for the, for the burden of, of our sin debt. And, and she began to tell me about how Jesus rose again. And, and listen, I'm, I'm not being mean. He says, but when I was raised in the Catholic Church, they didn't tell me anything about that. And when she began to tell me about all of these things, it was a surprise to me. I had never heard those things before. He said, I never heard that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus. He said, I work on a tugboat. He says, I'm out there three weeks at a time. And he says, I was out there one day, and he says, I just couldn't get it off my mind about what she was talking about and how that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus. And he said, I did recognize that I was a sinner. And she told me that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and all I had to do is ask and believe that he rose from the dead and I could have that relationship. He says, I was in the bottom of that tugboat. He says, I got there and he says, I got along with God and I just started talking to God and I told him, he says, God, I just want to be saved. And he says, I can tell you exactly where I was standing when my life changed. A birthmark of a Christian is there is a confession. There is a time that there is a confession when you have confessed to the Lord Jesus. In Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9 and 10 it says, For with if, uh, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There is a time of confession. Let me ask you a question. If I were to ask you right now about your confession, where were you? When were you saved? Hey, I promise you don't, I didn't know the date. I don't, I didn't know the month. I know it was summertime. I know we were having a brush arbor revival. I did I don't know how old I was. It, it, for many years, I said I was six years old when I got saved. Years later, I found out I was nine years old when I got saved. Let me tell you, those things are not important, but you want to know something? I can take you to the spot. I can take you. I know where the Brush Arbor Revival was. I know where it was built. I helped dig the holes to put the poles in. I helped put the brush on the top, and that's not important. But I can tell you on a Thursday night, I can tell you when I walked the aisle and gave my life to Jesus Christ, I was never the same again. There was a confession Something changed in me. I remember the next day running up and down the hall at school telling all of my teachers, telling the principal that I had been saved at church the night before. There was a confession. I love Romans chapter 10 and verse 11. It says, For those who are believed, they are not ashamed of Jesus. They're not ashamed of Jesus. Let me ask you, when's the last time in public you used the name Jesus Christ? It's not a popular name to be using out in public anymore. Have you, are, you, are you found guilty of going to a restaurant? And I was, I was just observing this the other day. We were at Florida's eating, 
and I, it was sometime in the afternoon, and, and I'm a people watcher, and I just saw these, all these people getting their food. And me and Susie were the only ones in that whole group, probably out of six or seven tables, that prayed before they ate their meal. I was just noticed. I mean, I'm not used to that. One table, two men were sitting there, and they set the food in front of one guy, and I mean, he just started digging in, and the other guy hadn't even got his food. I mean, when the other guy got his boy, I mean, it was, it was like at the cow shed. I mean, they just started eating as soon as it was poured out. And I, I just, believe me, I, I'm just telling you, I'm not, a, I'm not judging anybody. I just, I thought that was odd. But to have a confession means that you're not ashamed of Jesus Christ. You're not ashamed to walk up to the movie theater and look at it and go, oh, that's not going to work well with my Christian faith. I think I'll go to a different movie. When all of the guys go to the, to the movie and you're the only one that's got the Christian value and, and you too, you're confessing Jesus Christ that I'm going to live like he says. If you're, a, if you're a born again, you should have the birthmark of a confession. Do you have confession? In your life, are you ashamed? In in First John chapter five and verse one, it says this: Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and every one that loveth Him that be begot loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. But he that is born of Jesus Christ, he. He believes and he believes and, and because he believes, that is his, his confession. In, uh, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 37, the eunuch, most of you will remember this story, the eunuch has come and, he's, and, uh, and Philip shows up in his chariot and he begins to tell him and they, he's describing to him Isaiah chapter 53, what that verse means. And the eunuch finally comes to a place and he says, here's water, what does hinder me to be baptized? And then Philip asked him the question. He says, If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, thou shalt be saved. And the eunuch said this, I believe. You know what that is? That's a confession. That's a confession. Unashamed to say that I believe in Jesus. Birthmark of a Christian. Do you have a confession? Do you know when you believed and when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ do you know? Number two, there is a birthmark of change. There is a birthmark of change. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, a verse that many of you are familiar with. He says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The Bible tells us this, when Jesus Christ comes and lives and abides inside of us, there is a change that takes place. How many, I mean, I, I, if I was to stop and take time and say, what changed in your life? What changed in your life? And, and I use the example of a, a friend of mine, he, his name was Alan Galt. <laughs> I, just, I just thought about it, I've used him for an example so many times and I've done his funeral uh, just a couple of weeks ago. He's 55 years old when he passed. But I remember he said, he said, I knew. I was driving around Loop 287. He was 36 years old. I was driving around Loop 287, and he said, I knew if I died that day, I would go to hell. And he says, I stopped on the side of the road in my pickup truck, and I asked Jesus to come into my life and save me. And he said, at that moment, he changed me. He changed me. 
He said, one of the things that I noticed, I started going to work, and he said, man, I used to cuss like a sailor. He said, I noticed every time a cuss word would come out of my mouth, something just pricked in my heart. He said, I didn't know what it was, but he said, I knew that it wasn't pleasing to God, and I wanted to change. And he did. Changes begin to take place in his life. Times when he used to just sit up hours and hours and hours watching TV and never give the Bible the second time of day. He says, I begin to desire to read. I begin to desire to, to, to pray. Listen, if you're, if you're a Christian, one of the birthmarks that we have is that there's a change that takes place in our life. I remember I gave him, I've told you this story. I, I wonder why preachers keep telling the same story over and over. Now I know I do it. But I can remember, I can remember Alan Gaunt, well, he told me about a time he was working on this air conditioner. It had a sharp edge. He pulled the side off and, and he went to lay it down and it fell and it just sliced open his hand across that, that old sharp metal. And he said, words came out of my mouth that using God's name in vain. And he says, he says, when those words passed through my lips, the conviction of the Holy Spirit hit me. And he says, I fell on my knees. I began to weep. Because I didn't want to be that person anymore. He said, it just slipped out of me. I didn't do it. It just slipped out of me. He said, my son was standing right there. And he said, I've been witnessing to my son. He says, I, I taught my son how to use drugs. I taught my son how to buy and make and manufacture drugs. And he says, and I realized that the only way that he was going to get out of the same lifestyle that I had was for him to see a change in me. He said, I immediately apologized to my son and said, I'm sorry, that's not the man I want to be anymore. There was a change. A change took place in his life. Hey, we're talking about revival this morning. I'm asking the question this morning, what about the birthmarks in your life? What about the birthmarks? Do you have a confession? Number two, is there been something that has taken place in your life that there's been a change? Or are we just like the person before we claim to know how, who Jesus Christ was? In 1 John 2 and 29 it says, If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him. Something changes in your life. Acts chapter 9 and verse 20 is talking about the conversion of Paul. Paul at one time was persecuting Christians. He was saved, and this is what it says. In Acts 9 and 20 it says, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue, that he was the Son of God. Two days prior to that, he was persecuting Christians that believed in Jesus. Two days later, after his change, he was preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Wow. That's what you call change. The whole part of revival is this. As we examine these birthmarks, if these birthmarks are not evident in our life, the, the whole idea behind us preaching this this morning is that when we see these things, maybe not what they should be, that we examine and make a change to those things in our lives. These birthmarks. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith. The Bible tells us that when you're born again, the Spirit comes in you, and that is some of the things that should be changing in our life. These are some of the things that people should be able to see as they come into their lives. I could go on and on and on about the different scriptures that talk about how that when people were changed and they met Jesus, blind Bartimaeus, there's a change took place in his life. He never went back to the corner again. The lepers, when they were cleansed, they never went back to the leper colonies. I mean, change took place. The paralytic, when he was changed, he didn't go back and lay down in front of the temple and beg anymore. His whole life was changed because he met Jesus. Has there been a change in your life? Birthmark number two. Let's look at birthmark number three. Birthmark number three speaks about there is a compassion that takes place in our lives. Compassion takes place in our lives. Well, Brother Wayne, what do you mean, compassion? Before a person saved, that person normally lives a life only focused on themselves. But when you're born again, you begin to be concerned. about others. I'm really struggling with a thought that just ran through my mind. I've shared this with Susie the last couple of weeks. Uh, I, I worked as a paramedic for 10 years, and you run up on situations uh, that are very emotionally stirring. And when you work in a field like that, your mind has the ability to open up doors. And when you deal with this certain situation, it will allow you to store that up and it closes the door on that emotion. Basically, you have not dealt with it. And uh, I, I dealt with a little nine-year-old boy that had a heart problem. And uh, this this whole situation just keeps running through my mind. And to make a long story short, uh, I, I I was not able to save this little old boy. And and a lot of the responsibility for that boy not making it fell on me. 
and just in the last couple of weeks, this this memory and this this thought has just rehearsed in my mind, and I feel guilt. And I, what if I'd have done this, and what if I'd have done that? And I'm saying all of this to say this. I realize that little boy wouldn't have had a chance if I hadn't have been there to even help him to begin with. The little boy would have passed regardless of my intervention. And then I realize, I realize spiritually that every single one of us are going to come into contact with people that we have the ability to save their lives eternally and we will choose to intervene ourselves or to let them go. And see, when we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and when we've been born again, something comes inside of us that develops a compassion for other people. Listen to some of the scriptures that we have concerning this. 1 John 4 and 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, he that loveth not, knoweth not God. John 13, 35 says, For this shall all men know that we are his disciples, if we have love one for another. 1 John 3, 14 says, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brethren abideth in death. 1 John 5 and 10 is, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. I want you to know this morning, if you are a born-again child of God, one of the birthmarks of your salvation is that you will have love one for another. The Bible tells us that he that loveth not his brother is not of God. So that's a concern of ours. One of the things that people should see once we have been born again, one of our birthmarks is that we have love one for another. We need to examine our lives and see if that is part of who we are. Last birthmark. The last birthmark is our conduct. One of the things that we find as a born-again child of God is our conduct changes. That is one of the birthmarks. Romans 6 and 4 tells us this. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. When you're born again, your conduct changes. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, it tells us this. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation in which you are called. Walk means what? Walk is the way we live our lives. Ephesians 5 and 15 tells us this. 
See that you walk circumspectfully, not as fools, but as wise. All through the scripture, it talks about our conduct. It talks about how we act, how we present ourselves, the things that we do. Now that you're a born-again child of God, your conduct should have changed, and your conduct should exemplify who Jesus Christ is in you. So let's look at the birthmarks real quick again. First birthmark is a birthmark of confession. Is there a time in your life that you know and you can go to and it's an event that you know that you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord? The second thing that we see in our, our, in our birthmarks, number two, is there is a change that takes place in our life. A change that takes place. We don't do the things that we used to do. Number three, that there is a compassion about us that we've never had before. Number four is there's a conduct change in our life. And this morning, what we should do is we should examine the birthmarks of our own faith, our birthmarks of our lives. Can people tell that we're Christians by the way we walk, the way we talk, the things we do, the way we dress, the people we're with? Can, can people tell that we're Christians by that? If you're a Christian this morning and they can't, you need revival. You need revival. I heard this illustration. David Jeremiah gave it last week in one of his messages. And I love this illustration. So let me show you what it is when we become a Christian. There was a grandmother who had a grandson that enjoyed tinkering on the piano. And she wanted and had a desire for him to really get involved in working on the piano. So she took him to, the, to one of these concerts where there was a pianist, a well-known pianist that sat on the stage. And that's all he done was played the piano and the little boy and, and the, my grandmother, they found their place, they found the reserved seats, and they went and they sat down. And about the time they sat down, the grandmother looked across the aisle and saw one of her friends across the aisle. And she looked down at her, her little five-year-old grandson and said, I'll be right back. So she walked across the aisle and she is speaking with this lady. And, and about the time she, she realized that it was fixing to start, and she turned and she went back and her grandson is gone. And it just terrifies her. So she's looking around. And she's looking at the stage. And the curtain on the stage is closed. And the lights begin to dim. And they realize the show is fixing to start. And she has no idea where her grandson is. And then she hears chopsticks being played on the piano. And the curtain opens. And there sits her grandson at the piano playing chopsticks on the piano with two fingers. She's just embarrassed. She doesn't know what to do. And about that time, this renowned pianist comes out, bends over and whispers in his ear. He says, you just keep playing. That renowned pianist, he starts the accompany music on the bass cleft over here. And he just joins in, and you've never heard chopsticks played so well. He was playing the bass, the, the simple notes, and then this pianist was adding to it. And then he reached around the other side of him. He began to play on the other end. And my goodness, the beautiful music that was being made. You see, that little boy had some simple talents in his life. 
But when the one that knew all there was to know about a piano added his symphony along with it, it was beautiful. And when they stopped playing, they got a standing ovation from everyone in the room. Now let me tell you what it means to be saved. We bring our simpleness of our lives. And when Jesus Christ comes in and changes us, the Holy Spirit is that one that comes in and says, Listen, I know you have a simple life, but I can make your life extraordinary when you invite me in. Birthmarks of a Christian. My prayer this morning to you is that you've heard the words of the Scriptures, And if you do not exhibit these birthmarks, my prayer this morning is that you will change those things this morning and become the child of God He desires for us to be. Let's stand together. Father, again, thank You for this opportunity that You've blessed us with. An opportunity to hear Your Word spoken. I want to thank You for using me as a vessel to do that. God, I pray again that your word will not return void this morning. Not only that it has fallen on our ears, but God, that it has penetrated our hearts. And as we leave this place, my prayer is that you're pleased with every decision that's made in this place. God, I know that it is your desire that we be revived and that we play uh, our lives uh, to the best of our ability that represent you. And Father, if we're not there in our lives today, I pray that you'll use this time to revive us and set our feet back on the path that will glorify you in all of our lives. Take this time and this song as we sing, I Surrender All. God, let it be meant from our hearts. And God, let us just use us as your instruments and tools to reach others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You take this time right